Please keep uh, Joyce in your prayers. As you can see, the conditions are very, very primitive in this area of the world that she's at. But pray for her as uh, she begins to learn the language and help her with her discernment and uh, how to reach really the people. Uh, and with that, I'll pass it over to Lambert. Um, Good morning. Good morning. Oh, packed house here today. Good to see you all. We're, uh, we have five weeks in December, and, uh, and uh, the subject will be the book of Micah. And uh, Micah, is, turns out, I think you'll see, is a very wonderful book for the end of the year. Uh, I, I hope you'll see that. I haven't uh, had any time with the Mormons lately. Uh, mostly we kind of got out of touch. I have to connect with them again. So, uh, Saturdays, I have an absolutely fantastic time at San Jose State in the Crusade House. Uh, which is a bunch of college Christian guys. They live in this uh, old Victorian house where every closet's got two people living in it, and they're absolutely jammed. And they're so crowded. A couple of uh, guys wanted to come and, and rent couch space because uh, they uh, the, the, this lot uh, this year and last year, and a lot of ordinary students at San Jose State have become Christians. All of a sudden, out of the blue, nobody evangelizing them. They're just sprouting like weeds. And it's more fun to hang out with them because they're so open and eager to learn. We went through all of Judges and all of Ruth, and we're in Samuel right now. And uh, they cook breakfast for me. So uh, it's absolutely incredible time. It's my second favorite group after this group. Uh, page 1411 is the book of Micah Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah and some of you suffered through Isaiah and uh, they're they're living in the same time writing the same time period uh, but their style is a little bit different and and there's some wonderful surprises here the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. The town of Moresheth is down in Judah. It's in the south of Judah, down near Lachish. Um, uh, and uh, whereas Isaiah lived in Jerusalem and uh, spent a lot of time at the temple and among the nobility, and uh, uh, Micah is a... Uh, 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 more of a, a country uh, person with a wider, more global interest in serving God. His name means who is like God. As Ray Sedman points out in his summary on this book, this is the book that gives the secret of God-likeness or godliness. And that's woven into the theme of what this man says. Uh, the first two chapters uh, are sound a lot like Isaiah in that uh, uh, the prophet is addressing the, the desperate state of affairs in the torn, ten northern tribes with their capital city at Samaria and the two southern tribes in Jerusalem. The, the northern tribes are rapidly going downhill. The Assyrians under Sennacherib are invading the north. They push all the way down. Uh, Samaria, the capital you remember, falls to the Assyrians in 722, and the ten northern tribes are hauled off by the Assyrians into captivity and replaced with imported outsiders, mostly. Uh, 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 Sennacherib besieges Jerusalem in 701. We saw that in Isaiah. 
but he's unsuccessful because Hezekiah and Isaiah get together and have a prayer meeting in the temple and it isn't time for Jerusalem to fall yet so God uh, kills the Assyrian army overnight 175,000 and Sennacherib is murdered a little bit later by one of his sons end of story then Assyria fades from power and Babylon rises and it is Babylon that besieges the two southern tribes and takes the remaining Jews into captivity that's the historical setting so this is just the time period uh, before the Babylonian captivity and why is God going to send his people out of his land into Babylon for 70 years how come they they did not pay attention to a whole bunch of stuff and God picked out one thing to punish them for their failure to keep the jubilee years and to let the land rest every seven years so he charged them interest in 490 years and sent them off for 70 years to Babylon so the land could rest in the close of Deuteronomy there is an appendix that goes with the law of Moses which says in effect uh, the land belongs to you Jews forever I gave it to you in perpetuity but your right to live in the land is dependent on your obedience if you obey me and do what pleases me then I will bless you and prosper you and the land and you'll have victory over all your enemies and, there, and, and Deuteronomy there's a list of blessings if on the other hand you flake out and you don't uh, follow me there's a long list of very negative consequences great great long list of consequences that will follow all because God has made Israel a model nation a representative nation uh, God wants to hold Israel up as an example of how nations are supposed to behave when they have a relationship with God this is how they're supposed to worship how you get along with your neighbors how you love each other how you govern yourselves how you run things and Israel is, is put in that place in history uh, eventually to be the chief of all the nations so this is a model nation and they haven't done very good so far okay so that's where it starts uh, chapter 1 verse 2 hear all you peoples Micah says listen O earth and all that is in it let the Lord God be a witness against you the Lord is coming from his holy temple before behold the Lord is coming out of his place he will come down and tread on high and tread on the high places of the earth the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split like wax before the fire like waters poured down a steep place all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel uh, there's a summons for all the nations of the world to come and watch and to, and and, and see what God's doing in Israel everybody is invited to come and see uh, how God is dealing with Israel well that's in the news today obviously how God is dealing with Israel today is in the morning news uh, and, it's the, and the whole earth is invited to come and it's obvious that God's coming down out of his high place he's coming down getting personally involved this picture of a transcendent God way up in the heavens coming down and getting hands-on involved with people uh, uh, can you think of any other instances in the Bible where God comes down and gets personally involved Jesus. well yes that's comes with Jesus yes supremely but earlier 
Sodom and Gomorrah. God went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and he said, I'm going to get on and see for myself what things are like. Of course, he knew what things were like. One other one? Tower of Abel. God came down to see what men were up to because they were building this big tower and wanted to unite the world without him. And So here is God coming down to see for himself. And so we have very much a God who's personally involved in the judgment of the world. From John 5, we know that the the, the judge of all mankind is Jesus himself. He judges believers and unbelievers and nations. And he starts his judgment with Israel. Uh, he's going to judge Israel. And then he's going to judge the nations. And he's going to work outward. Now that's in the New Testament also. Uh, where where uh, Peter says the time has come for judgment to begin uh, with a household of faith and if judgment begins with us what will be the end of those who do not uh, obey the gospel if the righteous man is scarcely saved where will the sinner and ungodly appear so God begins his judgment with his people he begins the judgment of the United States by judging the church in the United States uh, he begins by judging the nations by, uh, by with the judgment of Israel um, that's where he starts so nobody gets out of this. So God's going to judge Israel here, but, but then he's going to judge the rest of the nations too. So you might as well have the rest of the nations in court while this is all going on so they can see what it's, what's coming down. That's the idea here. So this is very much opens with this introduction to all the nations. And he, uh, he says, uh, all of this judgment is coming upon Israel and indirectly on the rest of the world because of the transgressions of Jacob okay what is the transgression of Jacob the Hebrew does not use the word what it uses the word who who is the transgression of Jacob uh, personifies it let's go on and see if we can figure it out is it not Samaria what are the high places of Judah are they not Jerusalem so he says the transgression of Jacob uh, uh, centers in the northern capital of Samaria and it centers in Jerusalem in the south and therefore I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field places for planting a vineyard I will pour down her stones into the valley and I will uncover her foundations uh, that's the same word you'd use uh, that used elsewhere in the Bible of stripping of prostitutes beautiful garments and exposing her uh, to ridicule that that's the same idea so uh, so if the imagery here is that Samaria and and Jerusalem are like prostitutes and the transgression of Jacob is spiritual adultery that's the idea here and um, particularly up in Samaria the northern capital there are uh, shrines and high places to false and pagan gods and of course uh, the tribe of Dan has introduced the worship of the golden calf at Bethel and Dan and the whole northern tribes have been led into idolatry and uh, Samaria I don't know if you ever visited Samaria the ruins it's a very beautiful location in the hill country it's, it's partly excavated uh, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing left there of the beautiful palaces that they have built and, uh, and the beautiful buildings are all in ruins all pulled down and uh, all of her carved images shall be beaten to pieces and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire all her idols I will lay desolate for sh uh, 
she gathered it from the pay of a harlot and they shall return to the pay of a harlot all of this opulence and richness of Ahab's palace and the splendor of the buildings in Samaria is all built on the wages of spiritual prostitution it's all, it's all phony it's, it's all ungodly and so it has to be all torn down so this is a very vivid image right how does Micah react to this when God tells him this how does, what is his reaction verse 8 therefore Micah speaking I will wail and howl I will go stripped and naked I will make a wailing like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches for her wounds are incurable and it has come to Judah it has come to the gate of my people even to Jerusalem so he sees this cancerous malignancy in Samaria and the idolatry of the northern tribes is also moving into the two southern tribes where Micah lives and he sees that the same fate awaits Jerusalem a little bit later on down and it's heartbreaking if you read Jeremiah you get Jeremiah's the weeping prophet he had to live through the destruction of Jerusalem it was heartbreaking if you remember Isaiah how broken and sorrowful he was when God told him about the coming troubles upon the land that's usually the way the prophets are these are very caring men whose heart is broken uh, Jeremiah went so far as to take the sins of Israel as if they were his own sins in the book of Lamentation and to claim that all those sins were his and that's the subject of Lamentations alright now we have a, a little section here uh, which involves a play on words in Hebrew and it begins in verse 10 tell it not in Gath Gath is one of the Philistine cities down on the coast and here is his little proclamation tell it not in Gath weep not at all in Beth Aphra roll yourself in the dust uh, pass, by, pass by a naked shame you inhabitant of Shafir the inhabitant of Zanon does not go out Beth Ezel mourns his place to stand is taken away from you the inhabitants of Meroth pined for good but disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem O inhabitants of Lachish harness the chariot to the swift steeds she was the daughter of sin to the she was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion uh, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you now in English that doesn't make any sense except that if we go back up to the top the, uh, the, the town of Beth Aphra is told to roll in the dust and the name Beth Aphra, Beth Aphra means house of dust O house, O dust town, go roll in the dust that's the Hebrew Shafir means beautiful and uh, what do you tell the, the inhabitants of, of the town a beautiful town <laughs> uh, you pass by in naked shame <laughs> your beauty is stripped away from you Zanon uh, means going out or marching out and what do you say to the inhabitants of Zanon say don't march out uh, Beth Ezel mourns Beth Ezel is the uh, uh, the house of neighbors its place is taken away from you your, your, your 
natural inclination to hospitality and neighborliness has been taken away from you. Uh, the inhabitant of Merat, uh, uh, Merat means bitter, pined, uh, uh, is in pain. The inhabitants of bitter town are in pain. How's that? Uh, and uh, and Lakish means horses, horse. So what do you do to the inhabitants of, of uh, Lakish? Harness the chariot to the swift steeds. Get out of town. So the, in Hebrew, there's a, a play on words that, that doesn't come across in English. So he's he's describing this the Assyrians invading these towns down uh, in Judah. Uh, one by one destroying them, one by one taking and plundering them, and one by one ruining them. That's the idea here going on. Verse 14, Therefore you shall give presents to Morasheth Gath, or you shall be given as a present the town of Morasheth Gath. Morasheth Gath means uh, uh, a gift. Uh, you're going to be handed as a gift to the Assyrians. That's the idea. You're going to be given away. The houses of Aksib shall be a lie. Aksib means deception or a lie. Um, I will yet bring an heir to you, O inhabitant of Merishah. The glory of God shall come to Adullam. Adullam means refuge. The glory of God here would mean the nobles from Jerusalem. The, the nobles and the leaders are going to flee down to this town whose name means refuge and hide there. All this is negative. All this is, is, is a result of the plundering and destruction of the Assyrians. And, it, and, and the, the meaning that was originally intended for these Jewish towns is all turned upside down. Do you see that? Make yourself bald and cut off your precious and cut off your hair because of your precious children. Enlarge your baldness like an eagle, for they shall go from you into captivity. You're going to lose your sons and daughters that they're going into captivity. And uh, to, to cut off all your hair and to run around bald in Israel meant shame, disgrace. That was a way of showing shame and disgrace. You often think of shaved prisoners. Of course, now the military makes you look good with a short haircut, but that's another matter. Okay? So, uh, the, 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 uh, the prophets made a little circle of various towns down in the south, because the Assyrians are quite successful in invading not only the north, but they've got, come on down into Judah, and one by one they're leveling these towns and taking prisoners, in, and, the, and the Jews can do nothing about it. Chapter 2. Woe to those, we're going to find out a little bit why God's angry with his people. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. Now he's talking about rich, important businessmen and uh, uh, who wake up in the middle of the night with a new business plan, with some great ideas on how to make more money. Maybe you're one of those Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. And you, you get a great idea in the middle of the night how to make a new corporation, how to build a bigger empire, how to enlarge your, your sphere of influence. None of you, of course, but the people that live down the street from you, that's what they're like. Empire building. Okay, and the, and, and the way you do that is you do that by 
verse 2, coveting fields and taking them by violence, foreclosing on mortgages and uh, helping yourself to your poor neighbor's land and annexing his property and sort of uh, 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 ignoring the, uh, uh, any kind of decency or social justice. They covet fields, take them by violence, houses, and seize them. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. So there's an exploitation of the poor and the ordinary citizens by people who want to to build an empire for themselves. Now, we live with that all the time around here and think nothing of it. In in Israel, is this a big deal? Why? What about what does the law of Moses uh, emphasize? Social justice a big deal in the law of Moses. It's a big deal. The care of widows and orphans, the treatment of the poor, uh, honesty and fairness in business dealings, the the right of an individual to his piece of land, helping each other, and uh, we also saw this in Isaiah that we there was a tendency of rich people to go buy up a whole bunch of land from their poorer neighbors and or get them obligated and, and end up with a great huge estate and and the original landowner is reduced to poverty or he becomes a tenant farmer down through the history of the western world this goes on all the time does it not do we have any small farms left in the u.s anymore well no not really practically none and what about big corporations do they are they not usually gluttonous and does anybody in, in a in a big growing corporation care about who gets trampled on? Why, that's the American way of life. You know, it's this, this capitalistic empire. Well, that's okay for us pagans, but it's not okay for God's people. So way high up on the list of God's concerns is this social injustice that's perpetrated by the rich against the poor. Absolutely. Let's suppose everything gets all screwed up in the economy. Then in the law of Moses, every 50 years, all property reverts back to the original owners and all debts are canceled. And and you level the playing field all over again, knowing that it's going to get messed up in 50 years. But they didn't bother to keep the law of Jubilee ever. Small detail. Well, I just kind of thinking back on that. This week I was listening to Chuck Swindoll on the radio and he made a mention about his good friend Ray Stedman he used to always say about it, the church was doing what it's supposed to be doing to be the most popular place in the world and kind of kind of like those lines if we, if we were doing what God asked us to do to take care of our neighbors so. The, 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 yes, the, the, one of Ray Stedman's favorite themes is that the church is the secret government of the world as the church goes so goes the culture if something's wrong in the culture uh, you put your finger on the church and you say it's up to you guys to fix it uh, the, the church is the only body that has the power and the knowledge and the insight about what's wrong and the, and the ability to fix it so if we don't fix it it doesn't get fixed and we are also salt and light, and so our influence pervades the whole culture. Uh, so we're not allowed to be bystanders and sit on the sidelines. So what about David? David actually was very good social justice, except <coughs> he called someone else white. Well, you would, uh, yeah, David as an individual did, had major flaws, yeah, like everybody. Yes, but but. Uh, was in, but, his, but he also was quick to repent. 
Anyhow, you see that the see uh, to God the issue of fairness and justice and 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 social justice particularly uh, is a big deal to God. Verse three. Therefore, thus says the Lord: Behold, against this family, Israel, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, like a yoke around your neck that you can't cut loose. Nor shall you walk haughtily. No more proud, arrogant uh, self-assertion. This is an evil time. This is an evil time. In that day, one shall take up a proverb against you and lament with a bitter lamentation and say, We're utterly destroyed. He, God, has changed the heritage of my people. How he has removed it from me. To a turncoat he has divided our fields. The Hebrew is very strong. He says, as Hebrew says, lament with a lament of lamentation. So the word lament is compounded here three times to make sure you understand that this is a terrible lament. And what are the people lamenting? They're lamenting that the plug's been pulled on them, that they've lost all of their rights, their civil rights, their rights to live in the land, their property rights are all taken away. We have a whole culture now that insists on individual rights, pretty much the right to do whatever you want. Well, all those rights come from God. And in this case with Israel, he's taken them away. You don't own the land anymore. I'm putting the land in the hand of a, of a foreign caretaker, and he's not a nice guy. I'm stripping you of all of your land and your rights and your property, and you're going into exile. And the guy, and the, the guy that's come to, t- to take possession of the land is not a nice guy. How's that? That, that can happen to America too. Yeah. It's like God. God has been watching the, the the rich and powerful of Israel do this to each other. He says, "Okay, you think you like that? Let me try." Yep. He says, yep. He says, "Payback time, and let the punishment fit the crime." And so I, I waited long enough now, patiently long enough for you guys to change and repent. And it's uh, there's no way out now that that axe is going to fall. Uh, now there are uh, verse six is not very good in my new King James, but it's good in the NIV. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. No, not that. Cha- not no. Chapter two, verse six. Uh, chapter two, verse six is a is a complaint from false prophets against Micah. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Uh, uh, Micah is not a popular man. He's laughed at and ridiculed. He's insulted. And all kinds of people who claim to be preachers, teachers, uh, prophets say, this guy, don't listen to this guy, Micah. He's a jerk. Uh, uh, Nothing bad's going to happen to us. The prophets of God were never very popular in their day. They usually got hauled down to Jerusalem and killed, including Jesus. And for every true prophet of God speaking the truth, you're going to have all the other people that are saying exactly the opposite. And we'd like rather have good news, wouldn't we? No, we're, we're good people. God's not going to let anything bad happen to us. We're his chosen people, and we're decent and so on. Now you'd think that Micah might uh, might get angry, but he doesn't. Angry, uh, his reply uh, to these false prophets is rather 
gentle and he gives a soft answer he says Micah says in verse 7 you are uh, you who are named the house of Jacob listen all of you people of Israel um, is the spirit of God restricted are these his doings do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly just look at what's happening around you just look at look at the news look what's the destruction going on is that from God well it most certainly has to be it can't be uh, why is a good God causing this disaster to come across yes this is coming from a good God is God good well he wants the people to recognize that this is the just chastisement of a God who is basically good and if you'll walk uprightly with this good God uh, this would never have happened and you can turn around anytime lately my people have risen up as an enemy you pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by like men return for more this is like uh, exploiting a um, a poor man by stealing his robe when he's out walking on the road that's the idea here uh, the the women of my people you cast out from their pleasant houses from their children you've taken away my glory forever widows orphans single women lose their protection lose their rights get abducted abused and this is all going on right there in the sight of God see that I think I think the NIV is pretty good here. Uh, the NIV is even better. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. Exploit anybody for any reason. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away the blessing of, from their children forever. The, the, the children of a land are the future generation, and how do you treat the future generation? future generation in this country is not doing very well right now you have to look far to see that get up go away this is not your resting place get out of here you guys you don't live here in Israel anymore go this is not your home it is defiled it is ruined beyond all remedy can't be fixed you guys are out of here too late if a liar and deceiver comes and says I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer he would be just the prophet for this people. <laughs> That's just what you guys want to hear. He'd be just the most popular. It sounds like current events. It sounds. That's why I liked Isaiah. Mike, I was reading it this week, and I thought, oh, maybe we shouldn't read it after all. <laughs> I think it's wonderful that God has a sense of humor. God does have a sense of humor here. Now. I have a special treat for you in the last two verses of this chapter. And we saw that every once in a while in Isaiah. Isaiah has all this gloom and doom and all this bad news. And it's just awful. And then, in fact, the prophets are all like that. It couldn't get any worse. It's dark. It's a terrible time. There is no hope. What miserable. And then all of a sudden the prophet suddenly changes the subject and he brings the best possible news about the long-term future. Well, Micah does that. And so chapter 12 jumps way, way off into the future. This doesn't, you remember what's going to happen. The Jews are going to go to Babylon. 
they're going to be there for 70 years. The 12 northern tribes are going to be scattered more or less permanently. At the end of the 70 years, uh, a remnant's going to come back. They're going to build the temple. That's a pretty bad thing. Verses 12 and 13 don't fit that. Listen to what verse, verse uh, 12 says. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. God speaking. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. Remnant? Clue? Clue? The small minority within the land, the small minority of Jews who are faithful to God. Remnant in the church, small number of professing Christians really know the Lord, really walk with God, really follow Jesus. Great majority just say they're Christians, don't live it. Remnant, key term today, key for Israel. What's God going to do with the remnant? I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise, or the Hebrew is interesting, they'll make a great commotion together, my people, when I pin them up like sheep at Basra, when I put them in this big sheep pen as the shepherd, and there's going to be a great commotion, because one will come who breaks open. The one who breaks open will come up before them. That's real interesting. Now, the word, that Hebrew word for break open is used 50 times in the Old Testament, and it's, sometimes it's a military term, and it does literally mean somebody who breaks open. If, the, if uh, the sheep are all penned up in a safe enclosure and there's a gate, and the shepherd comes to take the sheep out from their place of refuge, he'll break open the gate and lead them. And, and so that's the, the one who breaks open. Listen to this. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with Jehovah at their head. Now, there are three titles there that apply to Jesus. To the, to three titles. He's the one who breaks open and rescues his sheep, the remnant, who saves his sheep when they've been in a safe place of hiding, uh, he's the one who leads them, and he leads them as their rightful king. Jesus, the rightful king of the Jews. And he's also Jehovah. When and where and how. Now, uh, you all, we all did Revelation together here a while ago, and you all know that book by heart. Came up again in Isaiah, that when Jesus comes back, uh, he does not come directly to the Mount of Olives. Doesn't he... He comes to Basra in southern Jordan. And why does he come to Basra in southern Jordan? To collect the remnant of his people who fled there when the man of sin went in and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem three and a half years earlier. Ezekiel says the same thing. Ezekiel says the same things that God will gather his remnant and make them pass under the rod in the wilderness of the peoples. That's southern Jordan. Will, uh, Jesus will gather his Jewish remnant in southern Jordan, uh, sort them out, believers from unbelievers, and train them, and then they will all come back into the land with Jesus, and Jesus, having the role of the greater Moses, will lead them back into their land to the Mount of Olives at the time of the second coming. How's that? 
And at the time of the second coming, the armies of the world will be pressing in on Jerusalem. There will be slaughter everywhere. There will be a small number of Jews in Jerusalem who have looked on him whom they have pierced, have come to the Messiah, and have been in danger of their lives. And so Jesus brings the real remnant in that breaks them out of their sheepfold in Basra where they've been saved. In Revelation 12, we find that the Antichrist does everything he can to destroy these, this little band of sheep down in Basra, and he's unable to do so. And he, he's, the devil comes out, he's furious with God's protected people down in southern Jordan. But the breaker, the one who breaks out, their chief shepherd will bring them back to Jerusalem, and then we enter into the kingdom. How's that? When Jesus comes back and stands on the Mount of Olives, Isaiah says something. Isaiah has a vision of this. Isaiah looks down in the direction of Jerusalem, and he sees Jesus returning to Jerusalem in the distant future, and he's rather amazed about something about the appearance of Jesus. Blood all over his garments. And he sees this uh, Jesus the Messiah coming from Basra. That Basra is the word that means sheepfold. It's down near Petra. It's a little town down near Petra. And why would Jesus have blood all over his garments at the second coming? Because that's long after his crucifixion. It's, he has trampled out the blood. The, he's trampled out the grapes of wrath against his people Israel. So it's the blood of Jews. Remember when Jesus was delivered, it was in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate said, well, at this time of year, I ordinarily turn loose one prisoner as just an act of mercy, and I, I, how about if I turn loose this guy Barabbas, who's a robber? And the people clamored and said, ah, no, yeah, yeah, no turn, uh, turn, turn loose Barabbas and, and, we, and go ahead and kill Jesus. And then they said something else then. The people clamored and said about Jesus may, may his blood be upon us and upon our children now Jesus is Jewish among the Jewish people and since Jesus is a Jew and he's one of the Jews then we have this kinsman redeemer avenger of blood relationship that goes way back to the origins of Israel in which the next of kin has a responsibility for avenging wrong and for fixing things that are right. And the kinsman redeemer, that was in the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer is the next of kin who guarantees the inheritance of relatives. Well, Jesus is kinsman redeemer and avenger of blood for Israel, but he's also that for us too, is he not? Did Jesus not take us into his family, adopt us in at the price of his own blood? Does he not protect us from our uh, uh, anybody who would get us, anybody who uh, from our enemies? Yes. So uh, here we have just this awesome little picture of Jesus showing up uh, personally to, to bring his remnant out of Jordan back into the promised land destroy the armies that have invaded, bring an end to World War III, bring peace on earth, set up his throne in Jerusalem, and begin to restore all the nations of the world, gather the nations for the sheep and goat judgments, bring in world peace. Where will we be then? Hopefully I'll be up in heaven. We'll be in New Jerusalem, I think. 
But Jesus has the resurrection body, and we have resurrection bodies, and we're all joined to Jesus right now. So if wherever Jesus is, probably we're not far away. Little mind stretcher for the holidays here. You could say that maybe Jesus wouldn't take his bride out on all of his military campaigns. Where is Jesus during the tribulation period? He's, in, he's running around with 144,000 doing his evangelism and bringing millions into the kingdom and very active behind the scenes. And uh, uh, we don't have to go through that. We get to watch from the mezzanine or uh, in the balcony. Now, I, I guess what I, what I like about reading through Micah, the, the judgment part's very unpleasant. We have to think, yes, that, that fits us. Uh, and then there are these great pearls and nuggets of uh, prophetic truth. The only way to get Bible prophecy down right is to take all of them. And they're not all in one place. So you have to kind of put in a little note here. We're going to get some more. We're going to get some more things about the Messiah and where he comes from and who he is. But I like this picture. I've never seen anybody ever write an article on, on Jesus as the one who breaks out. Or breaks people out. Or gets people out of jail or breaks the bonds of sin that's all in that idea and you can imagine the commotion and the, the, the Hebrew has a strong word for a big commotion when Jesus is down there he showed up and he's gathering his remnant and he's taking them all back to Jerusalem and it's the real Jesus and what a, what a great day of rejoicing well, I think in the, in the book of Acts um, God break, broke out his uh, apostles several times yeah. So we have a very a, a different Jesus at the second advent. Okay, chapters next. This is a great book in seven chapters, and uh, I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. Our Father, thank you for um, the book of Micah, for this man who lived so long ago uh, with such a heart of compassion for your people. Um, I pray that we could see the associations that fit us today, maybe even more so. Uh, what you want out of your church the special nation that you've made us to be the, our accountability our role in society our, our influence far beyond our numbers uh, uh, please uh, straighten us up so that we uh, act like the secret government of the planet as we're supposed to and uh, may, uh, may the, your words here in this uh, book come home to us this week and and, and bring them, Lord, before our mind, verse by verse, that we could consider how we treat each other, uh, can uh, ask ourselves if we are dealing with others the way you deal with us and the way you want people to deal with each other. Anyhow, thanks for our time together. Thank you so much for such a great salvation and for the presence of the Lord Jesus with us throughout the week, his loving shepherdly care, his protection over everything we do and we pray in his name Amen, Amen.